0: to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Saviour. Hey, good morning. My name is Michal Grobler. For those of us that don't have the pleasure of knowing each other, I'm very happy and blessed to be here this morning. I, was, I just caught the last 15 minutes of Philip's teaching, and I really enjoyed it. And I must tell you that I've been in Shofar now for more than 10 years, and I really love this church for many reasons, but one of the reasons is our healthy relationship and focus on money. I enjoy talking about money. I enjoy that we talk about money in church. Money and finances is one of my passions in life, but not the abundance thereof, more than the knowledge and the biblical knowledge thereof. So I really enjoy digging out and discovering. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, just leave it like that. It's fine now. So this morning, I'm very expectant of what's happening in the spirit here for many reasons. One is that God, God's principles regarding finances is not extremely technical or difficult to understand, but they are hidden. They are hidden in the Word. So this morning, take out your little shovel, put on your headlamp, because we're going to go mining for some hidden gems that God has placed in His Word for us. I'm excited because when I prepared, I learned more. I got to know Him better through it. So thank you for the opportunity to teach this morning. Okay, let's just quickly pray. God, we thank you for our time together. We bless you for your word. We thank you for the gems that you have hidden in the scriptures. And this morning, we want to dig them out, God. We want to get to know you better and understand you and and finances and your principles better. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can ask you to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so glorifying God with our money. How do you do that? I'm on a journey where I'm trying to figure out, because like Philip said, money is extremely important. Um, Christians underestimate the importance thereof easily. That's why we are all here, because we're not underestimating it. We want to learn. So, we're on the right place today. If we can just go to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. God says we must glorify Him in everything. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, the question is... How do we glorify God? Psalm 112. Let me ask you, who of you would like your children to be mighty on the earth, and who of you would want wealth and riches in your house? Anyone like that? Okay, that's me. I want my children to be mighty on the earth, and I want wealth and riches in my house. Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, when I read this, I see a relationship that glorifies God. It talks about the fear of the Lord, it talks about delighting in his commandments, and then his children will be mighty, wealth and riches in your house. That's awesome. That's a promise. Now, God is not into bribery, so he's not saying, if you fear me, and if you delight in my uh, commandments, I'm going to give you um, wealth and riches. That's not the way it is, but whenever we follow him, there's a fruit, there is a reward, but the focus is first on our relationship with him. Okay, remember, we're talking about glorifying God, so let's continue. In foundations and at Bible school, we say that stewardship is managing that which belongs to another. And then one year I was teaching, and as I said, the definition of stewardship is to manage that which belongs to another. I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, no, yes, it's not a very technical thing, but it's managing our resources to glorify God. So I told the class, no, it's to manage your resources to glorify God. Then the class wanted to know, but how do you do that? And I didn't know at that point in time, so I went on a journey, and I asked God, how can I glorify you literally with money, with my relationship with money? So it's managing our resources to glorify God. This morning, we will be asking ourselves, how do we do this? And I want to present four ways in which we can do it. First of all, it's through financial order. God showed me something that I call a biblical hierarchy, financial order, biblical order in your finances. I'm going to reflect on that. Secondly, we can glorify God in how we earn our finances. Thirdly, in how we depend on it. And then, how we spend it. When I get to earn and spending, I'm going to reflect on some of the issues Philip raised with us. Okay, so before we continue just want to illustrate to you how important finances is. Okay, so you're ready for some stats? They say that 84.75% of all stats are made up on the spot. Okay, but my stats are not made up on the spot. This is just some word searches I did in the Bible. The Bible says more about money than it does on water baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the rapture. Money is found in... 133 verses in scripture, riches and 90 verses, rich 186, wealth 43, gold 427, silver 284 times, treasure, treasures, spoil, wages. Okay, so money is not bad. Tell the guy next to you money is not bad. Okay. Money is not bad. The Word talks a lot about money. The next slide says, roughly, or not roughly, 16 out of 38 of the parables talks about financial stewardship. The New Testament has more verses on money and heaven and hell combined. Okay? There's more verses on money than heaven and hell combined. Sorry. Five times more finance verses than prayer. Hectic. 500 plus verses on prayer and faith, and 2,000 plus verses on money, possessions, and wealth. God is serious about us and our finances, so why aren't we? And I believe Satan and the world wants us to park it in a little box and say, let's just focus on the kingdom so that Satan can cause a lot of chaos in our finances, so that we're distracted, so that people don't trust us. So to this morning we are here to get order to understand what God how God wants us to manage manage our finances and to get yeah and to build the kingdom and glorify God in the process amen so let 's continue with this hierarchy of financial management. okay this is something that God has shown me through mostly through mistakes and other people 's mistakes and my own mistakes, so please learn not because i 'm so Cool, but because God has shown me a lot of mistakes other people make and he's allowed me to make a lot of mistakes. The previous seminar I expanded a lot into my mistakes, but this morning I'm not going to take up too much time to do that. I'll just reflect on some stories here and there. But I can tell you if we go to the next slide that we start off with our relationship, our heart to money. That's where we're going to start this morning. Secondly, your budget follows your heart. Thirdly, your savings follow your, follows your budget. And then lastly, you can only invest once you've got savings. And that is a biblical hierarchy or godly order. Now, like I said, I've personally made a lot of mistakes. If I can just quickly reflect on, on the biggest thing that God has shown me is myself and some of my clients and some of my friends and especially men with some ambition or an entrepreneurial heart would like to start off with investing. Let's go and make money. But there's no budget, there's no savings, and there's no heart to support the money. So God cannot allow it. That's why I would present that the world starts with make the money and forgets about the supporting foundations for making money. So for us as Christians, we need to start off with the right heart and then move on. So let's look at our heart. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. I like this scripture because it's very seldom that you see God weighing up another spirit to himself. Think about it. God versus Mammon. It means that God acknowledges that spirit, that mammon, to such an extent that he tells us we need to decide. I don't know of many other scriptures, I might have to go and look into that, where God contrasts himself with another spirit. And he says, you need to choose between me or this other spirit. But what it says is that we serve God and money slash mammon serves us. Now, we must remember money, the physical piece of paper, is a material thing, but there is an extremely spiritual backing for that piece of paper, and that is the spirit of Mammon. Okay, so I'd like to say that you might have heard it in foundations. Money is a good servant, but a poor master in the context of the Scripture, meaning that as we... Okay, first of all, we need to decide between God and Mammon as Christians... So, you can be a child of God, but serving Mammon. Maybe that might not be theologically correct, what I've just said. But as a Christian, you need to decide between God and Mammon, okay? Then as you serve God, Mammon can serve you. That spirit can serve you. But God will not be in competition between himself and Mammon. So, if you serve Mammon, God is not going to serve you. But guess what? If you serve God, Mammon can serve you. And... Money, Mammon, is a good servant, okay, but a poor master. Who have you seen people lose their lives to money? I've seen it. It's a very sad thing to see, but money is a bad master. It will destroy you over time. Okay, so just to reflect, as we serve God, glorify God, Mammon can serve us. But God will not subject himself to us. So if you serve mammon, God cannot come be no, below you and serve you. Okay, so money is a good servant but a poor master. I want mammon to serve me. I want it. You must be aggressive in that instance because it's a spiritual relationship, You, the way you relate with the spirit. If you're going to be unsure about how you relate with money, it's an v- extremely powerful um, spirit, it will take hold of you and you will serve it. So you need to resolve today in your heart that money will serve you. And I think at the end we must do a spiritual declaration. Speak to that Spirit and you say, you will serve me because I'm serving the living God. Amen. And that's just a very nice book, The Richest Man in Babylon, George Clason. It's not a Christian book per se, but it's sold over 2 million copies. It was written in 1926. And why I like this book, first of all, it's 50 pages long. And secondly, it's a storybook. And thirdly, the whole, it's a storybook. So it, it just explains of this ruler in Babylon who made a golden slave for himself. Then he told that, taught that golden slave how to serve him. And then he told that golden slave to make children and to expand. And he subdued all of them so that all of them work, works for him. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration that money can multiply, but make sure it serves you. Otherwise, that army of golden slaves will come and overtake you. Okay. And that's why I say make sure your heart is right because I can promise you if you're earning 1 million, 2 million, or 10 million rand a month and your heart is not right, guess what? Those little golden slaves will come and overthrow you. But if you can teach them and have your heart in the right position, you guys serve me as I serve God. So in other words, all of you serve God. And that is unfortunately what so few Christians um, get (laughs) is that we must rule over the money so it can serve the purpose of God. And that's what I liked what Philip taught in the previous session. Okay, so is money bad? No, money is not the problem, but the love of money. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from their faith. Remember, this is what I've been talking about. In their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, some have strayed from their faith. In their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, one of my biggest mentors was actually a extremely passionate Christian who um, lost the way along the way due to Mammon. So that's why I've, I've been in a position where I could learn from other people to see. Scriptures like this come into pass, lost the way through their greediness. So, God has a calling on your life. It is to rule, it is to make money, but along the way, your heart changed and lose the faith in the process. And that's not God's heart. So, that's why this morning we start off with heart. Okay, secondly, it's our budget. Okay, and I'd like to present, show me your budget and I can show you your heart, or at least 90% of your heart. If you show me this is, and that's what Philip talked about, this is your budget, and especially if I can see your statements, I think I'll know even more about you. And I always think these people at the banks that evaluate your, when you do a home loan application or whatever, I, I think they must sometimes be so intrigued by looking at people's statements, the flow of money. Every Monday it's this, or... There's this big expenditure or like the, when we applied for our previous home loan, um, the lady called me two weeks later and she said, listen, I've gone through your applications and you, you're not going to qualify due to various reasons, but there's one um, line item I don't understand yet and it could change your application, your expenditure, because it's how they categorize it. And she said, what's this amount you pay over to Shofar every every month? And I said, well, she asked, what is Shofar? Um, because they do cred- obviously credit checks in your risk profile. And I said, no, it's a church and it's my tithe. And the lady just saying, praise God, hallelujah. And um, she was saved. And now four years later, I'm still doing business with her. And, and she told me the other day that she's, she's won the, the top agent in the country last month. Um, so it was such a... Testimony, how she always also helped us in the process um, by allocating those funds right correctly, and it was I just say encouraging to, to hear that at the other end of the phone. Um, Marks, oh, sorry, Matthew six verse twenty. You guys should all know it's where your treasure is; there your heart will be also. And Mark twelve was that very interesting situation whereby Jesus went to the temple. And he sat at the place where they put their money in the baskets. Do you know about that section where he went and he sat and he looked at what everyone put in the basket? And I don't know about you guys, but when I was small, my or little, my parents used to clap me behind the head if I looked at what other people put in the basket. And Jesus must have offended many people. he sit there, aha, aha. And he literally just sat there. I, I could assume he was sitting there for hours and... He wasn't looking at the amount they put in, but how they put it, how they gave. I think he looked at their facial expressions and and also then how much they put in in terms of what he knew they could afford. Okay. So God is not um, – how should I say? He's a Jesus, I think, was a very interesting man when it came to finances, very unorthodox. We think our understanding of human finances is a bit warped by the world. He's very open and frank about it. Okay, next slide is then, so this was our budget. Now we can move on to savings. Okay, so you've got your heart in place. Now you've done your budget. Okay, uh, This morning I haven't gone into too much technical, practical details, but if you want a budget template or if you want to do your own one, or get software. There's a lot of freeware on the internet. Pull a budget template and you must have one. You must have it on your phone, on a piece of paper, or on your laptop. Do not do it in your head. Do not leave it up for chance. It doesn't work like that. Okay, so then, now you've got a budget. In your budget, you have allocated for savings. Okay? So you need to budget to save money. Who of you will know that it's possible to spend all your income every month? Okay? And do you think it's related to the, to the amount you earn? It's not. Okay? It's like the story I heard of a friend of a friend who went up to a set of traffic lights and the beggar came to him and he asked for money and the guy said no. And the beggar told him, you and I are very similar. We're both less than a month away from bankruptcy. And this guy was driving a fancy car and he was right. Many of the rich people we see out there is less than a month away from bankruptcy, meaning that If they lose their job now, within a month, they will have no money left. So they're on the same level (laughs) as the beggar. beggar could also probably last last a month or a few weeks. So I'd like to present it. We just need to start small. If it's difficult for you to come out with your money at this point in time, just save 1%. So if you earn 10,000 rand, save, um, what's at, 100 rand. Okay. But 1% is better than nothing, and 2% is better than 1%. Okay, so you can just start, just do something. You can aim at saving 10 to 25 percent of your budget. So you can take your income and do the math, and then typically try to work towards at least one month of income in cash in your account. I can promise you, if you do that, you're going to be in the top five percent of the country. I wanted to to pull some saving stats um, from our revenue ser- service because I know they they have those stats, but I wasn't able to get to that, but I know South Africa is one of the countries in the world where we save the least, meaning that we just live from week to week, month to month. But you need to aim towards one month. Oh, Sorry, work towards three months, but at least one month. If you have one month of your income in cash in the account, you're in the top, I want to say top 2% in the country. People don't live like that, and it's very dangerous. Our economy is... Is not looking too healthy, and that means we need ca- you need cash. You need cash if there's any radical tax changes or petrol hikes or whatever. Just have that buffer. Why? Because cash empowers us, okay? Puts you in a position to utilize opportunities. I've had many opportunities where a guy says, listen, I need the cash. Can you please, I'm going to sell my car for half price. I need the cash. I'm, gonna I'm in trouble. That was an opportunity not to um, abuse the situation, but that's how people make money. You make money when you have money. When you have cash, you can make money. So secondly, it also empowers you to do what God wants you to do. What would happen if God tell you, go to India Monday morning? Okay? You've got the resolve. God spoke to you radically in a dream. You need to go. But now there's all these these little ties you have, all these ropes around your ankles, because you cannot afford not to, to work. You need, you can't just leave everything. But if you had three months in, the, in, this, in, in your um, account, it was, would have been possible. Okay, so money empowers you, it empowers you to do what God wants you to do. Also, it takes away fear. I've heard of people where their boss called them in and said, Listen, you know what? I'm going to fire you, you're going to be without a job. If you do this again. And that guy had, a f- had two months or three months of salary in his account. And God gave him peace. And he said, well, if that's, if that's what you want to do as my boss, then let me go. So there wasn't any fear driving that person to say, no, please don't fire me. Said, okay, if you want to do it, then God has something better for me. Say it with a smile. Imagine how you would unsettle a boss in that situation. Okay? Wait But you need to have it. Okay, so the next slide is just an illustration of of your balance, um, getting our money in, in balance. Roughly, and I know we've debated this at previous occasions because it's very dependent on, on where you are in your life. But your needs should, should take up roughly 40%. Okay? So needs are things like food, clothing, home, um, your wants are all the luxury items, should be roughly 20%. Tithings, there, 10%. And your savings and investments, another 30%. So it's 30, 30, 40 That's a, a, a general guideline. So your savings, you could aim to 10 to 25% in your investments. So there's a bit of a balance there. But if you could save and invest 30% of your finances, you are in a very good position. It is possible for most, but if you're still studying or if you've just started working, it will be difficult. So then just do whatever you can. But don't say, no, I've just started working. I can't afford any savings or any investments. Then just literally take a hundred-rand bill and put it in a box or just do something, okay, just to get you in that momentum, then we have thousand rand invested or ten thousand or whatever but if you don't start you'll never have it when your money is in balance you always have enough to pay your bills have some fun and save and once our money is in balance we can stop worrying about it It becomes automatic okay so we've talked about our heart we've talked about budgeting saving these are just high level principles now let's look at investing Okay, I said roughly 20 to 30% on investments, but this is the trick. This is where I failed miserably, epically. You can only invest the cash you have. You cannot invest money you don't have, meaning you cannot invest credit, other people's money. So that's why you need to have a budget. When you have a budget, you have extra cash. When you have extra cash, you can invest it. Okay. So, acceptable investment goals. Leaving an inheritance is an acceptable investment goal. Providing for your family is one. And then glorifying God through your investment. Okay, having your money in order. Unacceptable investment goals. There aren't many. The word talks about the, But the biggest one to guard against is the desire to become rich. It's an ungodly goal. Okay. If you want to invest to have a certain amount to build a church or bless people, then that is a godly goal, investment goal. So when I say rich, just be careful to, to that you don't understand this wrong. God is not afraid of his people having lots of money. That's not what it's about. It depends, like Philip said, it's a tool. Why do you want lots of money? If you need a couple of million for a specific purpose. It's in God's calling for your life. You have got your heart in place. You've got a plan. You've got savings. Then God will bring that money to you. So we shouldn't be afraid of large amounts of money. It's like Philip said, what is the purpose of that money? Good. Let's look at, I'm just going to flash these scriptures. Providing for your family. Listen to this, one Timothy five. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Hey? it's rough. If anyone does not provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. But God is quite, quite serious about this. Leaving an in inheritance, a good man leaves an in inheritance to his children. A house and wealth are inheritance from fathers. Okay, next one. Um, 1 Timothy 6, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. When we desire to become rich, we are loving money. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. See, Timothy has lots of, lots of uh, relevance here. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Okay, so now just four biblical tips regarding investing. Know where the Lord wants you to invest. Pray about it. Don't make foolish investments. God, God, when you sit in the mornings and you want to make an investment, pray about it. Ask Him for guidance. He is the best financial advisor you will ever have because He knows what's going to happen in the world economy. He can tell you to make an investment that, your advisor is going to say, no, that's stupid. That, that industry will never grow. But God knows what's going to happen in each and every sector in, in the economy. Okay, so Isaiah 48. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Okay, it's not profit like prophesy. It's profit. It's hard returns. Next one, diversify. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Any good financial advisor will tell you to diversify your investments. And that's why I say the word is very practical. This was written down many years ago, before we had something like financial managers and accountants. Next one is avoid risky investments. There is a grievous evil which I, Solomon, have seen. Riches were lost through bad through a bad investment. Next one, just in a different translation. I love this. There is another problem I've seen everywhere, and it sounds like he's talking about Gauteng, 2013. I've seen everywhere. Savings are put into risky investments that turn sour, and soon there is nothing left to pass on to one's son. The man who speculates is soon back to where he began with nothing. This is, as I've said, a serious problem. For all his hard work has been for nothing. He has been working for the wind. It is all swept away. Avoid risky investments. And then be a steady manager. Proverbs 21. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Steady plodding brings prosperity. Everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Then lastly, he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished, so the Bible talks about steady plotting, um, and when I hear steady plotting, I hear compound interest, so those of you with some accounting background will will know how powerful compounding is. The principle is basically that you invest, your investment makes interest, and your interest makes interest, and later on, you cannot keep track of it. I hear that Warren Buffett was under the radar for, I think, until he was something like 62 or 65, somewhere there. He was wealthy, but no one knew of him. He's an old man now, so he popped out of the top 100 in his old days because of compounding. For many years, he was just investing, doing good business. And I heard a similar story of the richest lady in America, and this isn't all verified now. It's just a story I heard She's now something like top 10 richest lady in America. And when they checked up on her life, there was nothing dramatic. But she's 70 plus, And all she did is for many years, she just had a, a little investment every month for many years. So when she got to 70, she was top, top 10 or top 20 richest lady in America. Obviously, it wasn't a small investment she made. But no one knew of her. And when they checked up on her life, there wasn't anything spectacular. She never did any amazing business deals. It was just compounding. And that is what George Classen talks about, um, uh, what do you call it, golden slaves. Your slaves make more slaves, and those slaves work for, all these slaves are just working for you, compounding. Okay, guys, so that was the biblical hierarchy, heart, budget, saving, investment. Do not invest money you don't have. You can only have cash if you've budgeted for it, and your budget will reflect your heart. So as Christians, we start with our heart, not like the world where we start with the money. Okay, it's that whole inside-out principle where the world will go on this concept of what you have determines who you are, whereas we, whatever who we are, influences what we should have. Once again, Philip's talk. Those are only tools. Um, finances are tools. Now we will look at how we can glorify God with our finances in terms of our earning, our dependence, and our spending. Now this morning I want to tell you that God prophetically, um, I sense, and a lot of other friends are, are sensing the same, that God wants to unveil His church. Okay? He wants to release more glory over us. He's waiting for us. Who have you been to a, a wedding recently? The bride does not come down the aisle with a dirty pair of jeans, forgot to shower, you know, forgot to put on her makeup. It doesn't work like that. When she's coming down the aisle, she has put in all her resources, all her energy for that two minutes. Okay, and, and <laughs> it is <laughs> okay, more ladies. <laughs> okay, you can see. <laughs> I'm not gonna expand I'm trying to explain myself now. But um, when we look at the church as a bride, then we are not excellent at this point in time. We aren't if we're honest with each other. But God is wanting to unveil his bride and therefore finances must be in place. I mean the the cost of a you know wedding what do you call it? gown, rug, dress. It's, it's large costs. It, there's a lot of excellence. There's a lot of costs. There's lots of finances going into that. And that's part of what, why it's so beautiful. So God is waiting for us to be, to be ready, for, to be in order. So let's look at how we can glorify Him in terms of our, um, how we earn an income. We, we glorify Him when we earn it through hard work, when we earn it by honest work and by holy work. Remember, he wants to remove a veil. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. So the next one, please. Okay. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. talks about hard work, minding your own business, working with your hands, To win respect of people and not be dependent on others. Next scripture, Proverbs 14. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Now you've heard the saying, don't work hard, work smart. And one day I was still saying it. Yeah, don't work hard, work smart. And it's like the Holy Spirit told me, that's not not biblical. Word teaches us as Christians, work hard. But you work hard and work smart. But saying don't work hard, just work smart, it's not biblical. God said there's a, a blessing on hard work. And you know, I can relate to the second part there, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I get so frustrated when I hear um, young people or friends talking about all the stuff they're still gonna do one day, but they're doing nothing now. So challenges. Rather keep quiet and do something now than talk about all these wonderful things you're going to do one day. A friend of mine always says that the way we live our lives, the way we live our days, make make up the way we live our lives. So if you want to be X and Y someday, you need to live that today. Especially if you're prophetically inclined like I am, I'm always thinking of the future always thinking of how things are going to be in the future. And God is saying, no, how's today going to be like? like? I'm not sure, but I can tell you how the future is going to look. God says, no, start doing that today. It's those bright stories. I always just stand and listen and laugh, and I think, what, what are you doing about this today? What have you done this week? And mostly, especially us, as young men, we, we like talking. No, but God says, no, start working today, doing what you want to do today, what you need to do. Okay, then in how we depend on it. So we said we can glorify God in how we earn it and how we depend on it. Don't depend on money for happiness. Amen. Don't depend on it for health. And don't trust it for heaven. Happy money does not make you happy. You can agree with that. In actual fact, I believe it makes you unhappy if you don't spiritualize it. Or, I mean, if I drive to the work in the to drive to work in the mornings, and I just look around me, the people in the biggest cars look more unhappy than the guy next to the road. And that's just an observation. I know you can go into all the philosophy behind that. It's just an observation. Money does not equal happiness because I'm, not, I'm definitely not seeing the fruit thereof but actually the opposite. Okay, money, can, don't depend on it for health. I'm not sure if you know who King Asa was, but he was a powerful and rich king, and he died with diseased feet. Yet the Bible says that in his illness, he sought not unto the Lord, but unto physicians. So don't depend on money for your health. And then certainly don't depend on it for heaven. 1 Timothy 6 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And there's a lot of arrogant hope in our own wealth around these days. And um, I'm originally from Cape Town, and when I came up to Gauteng, it really struck me. And a few months later, I was sort of in the old, I mean, this. Gauteng, the GDP in Gauteng is, I think, larger than any other country in in Africa. Um, This is the center of the African economy, so there is a lot of money there's lots of movement, but you need to be be, um, level-headed and be sure that you don't fall into this trap, that you don't get on that little rat wheel and just start spinning. Before you know it, you're going to be 60 years old and you've got maybe lots of money, maybe not, and a life has passed. So it talks about here yeah, this arrogant hope in wealth. And how we spend it. We can glorify God in our degree of spending, in our direction of spending, in our communication. Okay, our degree of spending is living within our means. So to live within the budget that you can afford, that's how you glorify God. Secondly is your direction of spending. Um, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like I said, if you look at someone's statements or his budget, you're going to know a lot of him because of the direction of his spending. And this is what Philip talked about. Money should be a tool. So where are you putting your finances and for what purpose? And then your communication regarding spending. We should be very diligent not to, first of all, compare ourselves with other people comparison only leads to two things in your heart, and you can test this. Um, if you compare yourself to someone else on a material level, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to be inferior or superior. Okay? And you can test it. If you judge your, your clothing to another guy's clothing, you're only going to feel "Wow, well, I'm better, or well, I need that. One of two things are going to happen in your heart, always. If you judge your car to another guy's car, And both of those lead to unhappiness. So comparison judgment will not glorify God. It will not create satisfaction. But compare yourself to Jesus um, and you'll experience humility and you'll experience peace and satisfaction. So comparing ourselves with other people on a material level does not bring anything of worth. Guys, then lastly, I don't know if you've seen this Beautiful scripture. I love it. And this is actually worth a whole sermon on its own. But this morning, I just want to leave you with this. Building iron chariots. Judges 1 verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country. Sorry, they took possession of the hill country. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains because their chariots fitted with iron. Now, if you look at the, the illustration here, Judah equals the Christians. The men of Judah and the inhabitants of the lowlands, that's a comparison to the world. Now, in order to be successful and possess the land, we have to be able to compete and have our own iron chariots. So, these guys were men of God, they inhabited the hills, but then there were all these guys on the low-lying plains. And the men of God, the Christians, could not rule and overtake them. Why? Because these guys on the plains had iron chariots. So what, what this is saying to us as Christians is let's build our own chariots. Let's be proactive. Let's be aggressive in what God has placed in our heart. Build yourself an iron chariot. It can be shiny. It can have mag rims on it. No lights on the bottom. But otherwise, build a proper iron chariot so that you can overtake The lowlands. God wants us to rule over the highlands and the lowlands. Okay, so let's just stand together, please. I think the next slide. I'd like to close off by saying that we are on earth to worship God. Our work is to worship God. For that worship, we get remuneration, money, and that money belongs to Him. The finance will follow as we work, as we worship hard and good. Okay, so as we worship God, as we work hard, as we build these iron chariots, blessing money will follow us, and that money will worship God, godly order. Then just lastly, this is Psalm 25. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the way they should go. Sorry, he will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. Is yes, God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your spirit that is alive in us. God, I pray that that you'll just water any seeds and all seeds that were sown through your word this morning in our hearts. We ask you, God, to teach us in the way we should go, Lord. Let us be proactive. Let us be biblical and have order in our finances as to glorify you, God. We ask that our spending, the way we talk about money, the way we relate to it, will bring you glory, God. We thank you, God, that as we bring you glory, our finances can bring you glory. And it's this holy circle, this holy synergy that can just continue in Jesus' name, Lord. And we come now against the spirit of Mammon that wants to creep into our hearts, that wants to just push, push you out. Lord, we declare that you are our king and that we submit to you and that Mammon will submit to us and, and as a golden slave. So, Lord, we we take that spirit captive in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and we say that, Mammon, you will serve us as we serve God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross, and because you died, we can have authority over one of the most powerful spirits, namely Mammon. We can speak to Mammon due to your blood, due to your authority that's alive in us. We thank you for this morning, God. And I pray for everyone with a vision here to accomplish something great in in the future. That you'll show them how they should live today. What they should do this week. How they should change their budget. How they should save and invest in order to get those tools to accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Power to the weak You raise dead men to their feet You are strong, Lord Thank you for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that it was time well spent establishing God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory in your life. For more information, call us on 012-362-1363 or email us at pretoria at shofaronline.org You may also wish to browse our website at www.shofaronline.org or find us on facebook.com forward slash Shofar Pretoria.